Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from one of our pastors. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody cold? (laughs) Well, uh, at the end of every year, uh, Pastor Don and the pastors, we all kind of gather together and uh, start beginning begin to talk about the coming year and the sermons that we want to teach, the topics, the scripture and all that. And so this past year, Pastor Don, um, during that time said, said, Jeff, I want you to, to put together a series, um, you know, two or three weeks. Um, and I'm very thankful that he did that. And he said, let me know uh, in the coming weeks what it is that you want to talk about and what you think about, uh, what do you want to do? And pretty quickly, I centered in on the topic and the, the, the series that we're going to be talking about the next few weeks, contentment. Um, one of two reasons, really. One of them is my life verse. If, if I don't really have one, but if I were to say there is one, you know, that verse that you kind of always hold up that you want to kind of model your life after has always been 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, which is something we're going to read to, uh, this morning. Um, and then secondly, you know, as pastors, you know, theology is very important to us, that we, we, we study scripture to understand who God is um, and what he's all about and what his character is. But, you know, right under the theology for pastors is, is anthropology, studying people, right? Observing people, watching people, thinking about the way that people tick and the way that they live their lives. And so as pastors, you know, we have this unique um, privilege to take theology, who God is, and anthropology, who people are, and share how those two work together and how who God is uh, informs, guides who we are as people. And one of the things that I've noticed um, in, in my life is this idea of contentment or the opposite, discontentment is an incredibly uh, important thing for us as humans. That it's probably one of the top issues that humanity deals with, especially in the United States and in our society. That you can, you can watch people on a daily basis and you can figure out pretty quickly by the way they live their lives, by the way they, the choices they make, the way they interact with people, whether or not they are content or, or discontent. And scripture and God in scripture charges us, commands us, encourages us, teaches us as Christians to be a people who are content. And sadly, just as as discontentment can creep into and control the lives of non-believers, discontentment can do exactly the same thing in the lives of believers and followers of Jesus. And it's kind of it's kind of hard to, to to feel sometimes. Like it it creeps into the back of our minds and in our hearts, and it's kind of there, and it's guiding our decisions and guiding the way we interact with people and guiding some of the choices that we make without us really realizing at times that it's discontentment that's causing us to, to do these things and to make these decisions instead of some other excuse that we make. And so we're going to, the next three weeks, we're going to talk uh, deeply and very focused on contentment. 
and its opposite, discontentment. And we're going to look into scripture uh, because scripture is, has some very important teaching on contentment, very clear teaching on contentment. And we're going to ask God through this teaching to make us a more content people, to be able to flee away from discontentment and let our choices and let our interactions with people and our lives be, be characterized by contentment instead of discontentment. And so this morning, we're going to be in 1 Timothy 6. If you have your Bibles or your apps, however you look at God's word, 1 Timothy 6 is where we're going to be. As you're going there, I want to tell a story. Um, my stories usually kind of involve my kids because they're a big part of our lives. And so about a week ago, I believe it was a week ago, maybe it's two weeks ago, we noticed that our kids had kind of got a lot of gift cards and money from various things like birthdays. Christmas even, all these things. And we decided that we were going to go out and let them spend all of their gift cards and spend all of the money that they've earned on a random Saturday. And so we went out and we did that. And uh, Molly Kate, my youngest daughter, had a Build-A-Bear gift card. Um, and it was only a $15 Build-A-Bear gift card, but it was just the right amount to get her what she needed at Build-A-Bear. Um, now Jennings, my son, he didn't have any gift cards, but he had amassed like maybe 40 dollars or so um, of just cash that he wanted to use. And so Molly Kate goes in to get her Build-A-Bear. Jennings walks in the store and you guys, if you have kids and most of y'all have had kids, are, are, know how kids work. Jennings sees all of these Build-A-Bears and of course, immediately he thinks, I need a Build-A-Bear, right? So Jennings proceeds to spend $30 of his money to get a dinosaur Build-A-Bear and a shirt to go with it and all that kind of stuff. Fine, great, that's what his money's for. He can get what he wants to get. We leave Build-A-Bear. The next place we go is to Target because my other daughter, Macy, had a Target gift card. Um, and so we go into Target. We go to, the, um, to the, the, the toy aisles and all that stuff, looking, and Jennings is right there, right beside me. And of course, we walk in, turn left, and there's the Lego aisle. And Jennings looks up and sees all the Legos. And you know what his first thought is? I need some Legos, right? Um, he only has $10. If you've ever seen discontentment in your life, you can go, if you haven't, take a kid with only $10 to the Lego aisle at Target. Because I'm telling you, everything there is well over $10. We looked, we finally found there is this one little guy about this size in a car about this size that was $9.99. The next one up was $20 and it went all the way up to hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Because So Jennings is seeing these Star Wars characters. He's seeing these... Um, what else? There's, a, well, there's something else big right now. Just there's all these designer Legos and all this stuff for hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And Jennings has already gone to the candy store and got $20 worth of candy. He's already gone to Build-A-Bear and got a $30 Build-A-Bear. Now he's at Target at the Lego place and just seeing all these Legos, knowing he only has $10, but realizing the only smallest little thing on that aisle he can buy for $10. And we were in that aisle for 45 minutes to an hour. No lie. <laughs> Jennings, there's maybe three things from this whole aisle that you can buy. And you could, he just walked down and he's looking, he's seen all these huge things. It was, it was sad, kind of funny, but sad. And all of a sudden it's funny because this is what he does. Like when he, when he has something he knows he wants, but he knows if he asks, the answer is going to be no. Instead of asking, he just starts to like moan and groan. So he's like, he's like, I'm like, Jennings, what's wrong? He's like, nothing. 
I was like, Jennings, you only have $10. He ended up going to like another aisle and getting some little toy that he's already lost or broke or whatever. But anyway, it was, it was, so, it was I mean, it was a case study of discontentment of I've gotten all this stuff today. I have $10 left to buy something, but I want what's $20. I want what's $30. If I had 20 more dollars, if I had a little bit more, then I could get what I want and I'd be happy. But because I don't have this extra stuff, then I'm upset, I'm groaning and I'm moaning and it's not fair because I don't have all this money. The funny, other funny thing is Jennings had a, he had like an envelope with all of his money in it. And you know, he's young, so he's learning words for everything. So he called the envelope his account. So he'd give us, here, mommy, here's my account. And he kept saying, hey, can I have my account? And he kept looking in it, look in your account, see how much money you have. Yep, there's still $10, Jennings, it's not getting any more. You can only get $10 worth of stuff. But it was funny because it was, I mean, discontentment. It's what it was. You've already gotten all of this stuff, but you see more and you think you need more. You don't have enough to get the more. So you feel like somehow your life isn't what it could be if you get the more. And it's funny because that's Jennings, that's a seven-year-old, but I don't think us as adults are all too different. You know, if you really think about our lives, like if you've ever, you know, thought in the back of your mind or even said or even pursued opportunities in your life based on the assumption that I need fill in the blank to be happy or I need, I, I gotta have more of fill in the blank to, to have a better life, then we're just in the same boat as my son Jennings is when it comes to discontentment. Because there's this, there's this, this, this lie that creeps into our, in our minds and our hearts that says that we need more to be happy. We need this to be more successful. We need that, or if only this were to go another way than it did, things would be so much better for me. And its root cause for all of this is this idea of discontentment. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. Maybe you've said that before. Maybe you've thought that. Maybe you even can recognize and think about some times in your life where you've made really poor decisions, maybe financially or relationally or, you know, socially, emotionally, whatever it is. You've made a poor decision because you believed that lie that if you had that, you would be more happy or your life would feel like you've accomplished more. And so all of us have done that at some point in our life. And so today and this morning in the, in the series that we're doing, we are um, pursuing contentment in our lives. So let's just start off with a definition. What is contentment? You know, if this were not a, a, a religious setting, a church and talking about our faith, I would probably just say, well, contentment is being happy, you know, with who you are and with what you have, right? I, I, I'm good with what I have. I'm good with who I am. Everything's groovy. I'm good. I'm content. But when it comes to a faith-based contentment, we have to bring God into the equation. And this is where contentment and discontentment becomes a spiritual issue. Because we believe and we know that God created each and every one of us specifically. And we know that God has given us certain skills, certain talents, certain situations and circumstances in life for us to live in. And he, as God, as creator, is overseeing all of those processes. And so when it comes to discontentment and contentment on the Christian level, I think we have to change the definition a little bit. And we have to say contentment is being satisfied with who God or what God has given us 
and who God has made us. And that's, if you're filling in your blanks, that's the second fill in the blank. Let's change it up a little bit. But contentment is being satisfied with what God has given you and who God has created you. And so discontentment by contrast is the opposite. Discontentment is deciding that God hasn't given you something that you should have or that God hasn't made you the way that he should have made you. And discontentment, if we have that in our life, causes us to try to fix the things that we are saying by our actions that God didn't do right in our lives. And so that's where contentment becomes a spiritual issue. And I think that's why Paul and God through Paul in scripture has a lot to say about it. So we're gonna jump into 1 Timothy chapter six, and we're gonna start with verse two, like the last part of 2C, uh, I guess you'd call it 2C. It's like the third part of 2C. And so the little bit of background here, Paul is writing a letter to this dude named Timothy. Paul and Timothy were both in a church in Ephesus. And so you probably have read through or have heard of Ephesians. There's another book in the Bible where Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. So this is now Paul writing to Timothy, who Paul has left in Ephesus to share with Timothy how to lead the church in Ephesus. Paul has gone on on his missionary journey to plant some more churches, to edify some other churches. He said, Timothy, I want you to stay behind in Ephesus. I will write you. I'll let you know um, what to do there and um, be looking out for my letters. And this is the first letter that we have from Paul. What had happened in Ephesus was serious. In Ephesus, false teachers had kind of... um, moved into the church and began to teach false doctrine and lies to the people. Now, back then there wasn't, they didn't gather like we do here with this large group where there was kind of one senior pastor who was able to oversee all of the doctrine that's being taught, correct everything. They had a lot of different house churches that were kind of all around the, 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 the city of Ephesus. And so these false teachers, they, would, they were smart. They would wait until say a Paul leaves or the main teachers would leave from one of the, the house churches. And then they would go in and they would say, hey, I know this is, what, this is what Paul said, or this is what Timothy said. And these things are true, but there's more. Let me tell you this, this extra knowledge you need. Let me tell you this extra reality that they haven't taught you about. But if you follow me, I can teach you about that. And that's truly the way to be saved. Follow me and I will point you on the right path. Paul is writing to Timothy to to help him guide this church. And one of the main things he writes in 1 Timothy is to to go against, to weed out, to come, come against these false teachers and get them out of the church, expose them for who they are and so that you can protect your church. And so that's what Paul's talking about here. First Timothy six, we're gonna start with 2C and work our way through 10. And you'll see how this relates to contentment. So Paul says, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in the mind and deprived of the truth. Let's stop there for a second. So Paul doesn't mince words about these false teachers. 
These people who are infiltrating the church, who are just creating dissension, who are creating, who are slandering each other, who are building up controversy and strife. And they're doing all of this so that the people will follow them from then on. You may know people that are like that. Do you know anybody that, that always has to have the last word? Uh, do you know anybody that, that has to win at any cost, right? Somebody who, who, you know, will say whatever they need to say so that they can gain from a situation. You know, we've all done that at some point. That's, that's the type of people that these false teachers were. You know, they would do whatever they could so that they could benefit from whatever the situation was. Especially teaching false rumors, lies, untruths to the people. And so why are they doing this? Paul gives a very clear answer. This is what it says. Those last few words of verse five, they imagined or imagining that godliness is a means to financial gain. So their entire reason, the root cause behind everything that these false teachers are doing is so that they can gain from it. So they can earn more financially, but also so they can earn more influence. And Paul wants to say, that is not the Christian life. That is not the way to live. And so the contrast that Paul makes with these false teachers is this next verse in verse six, but godliness with contentment is great gain. You see that? So what Paul is doing is he's, he's creating a contrast here. There are these people in Ephesus who appear to be godly, who seem to be living holy lives, Christ-like lives. They, they seem to be following Jesus, but they're, they're not. They're false. And the reason that they are, and the way you can tell that, is because they are discontent and they seek more and more for themselves. And Paul says, the right way to live, Timothy, as you're leading this church, and if you want to be a true follower of Jesus and a good, real, godly leader, is to let your godliness be all that you need and be content with being godly. And so that's what Paul's contrast here. And this is your first fill in the blank is, is this idea of godliness as a means to gain versus godliness with contentment in and of itself is the great gain. So if you were to ask these, these, these leaders, and maybe this, this can, this can, you can think about this even for yourself. Why are you involved in church, false teacher? Why do you consider yourself a Christian, false teacher? Why do you go to these house churches and lead people and tell them lies and tell them all this stuff? Why do you pretend to be godly? They would say it is because of what I can get out of it, right? Why do you go to church, false teacher? It's because of what I can get out of it. But if he were to go to, to Timothy or to the godly leader and say, godly leader, why do you go to church? Why are you a Christian? Why are you godly? They would simply say, because I'm trying to be like Christ and that's all I need. One is a picture of contentment and one is a picture of discontentment. So Paul goes on. Verse seven, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these, we will be content. And then he, fought, and he focuses back on the false teachers. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And we've all heard this next verse. For the love of money 
is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. So what Paul is saying here is, is the love of money in and of itself has caused people who would otherwise come to know Jesus and be followers of Christ to be led astray and to fall away from their faith. The love of money did that. What is the love of money? It's discontentment with what we already have, right? Because what do we use money for? To get more, to have more. And so not being content with who we are and who God has made us, not being content with what God has given us has caused people and still causes people to this day to fall away from the church and lead them astray from the faith so that they can't follow Jesus. And that's why contentment is so incredibly important to Paul and to our Christian lives as well. You know, I think of it in this way. I think that, that there, was a, there was a famous author named C.S. Lewis, a theologian. You may have heard of him before. And he, uh, he put it this way. If you were to imagine with me a buffet table sitting here. And on this buffet table, there was... Any food that you could desire, whatever food satisfies you the most, the best of the best, whatever it is, is up here. Okay, it's full of Chick-fil-A. We got it, right? Full of Chick-fil-A. No, any, whatever it is, whatever you enjoy is up here on this buffet, buffet table and people are eating and every once in a while, scraps fall underneath the table. There's, there's little food, there's crumbs, stuff gets kind of stuck under the table. It's on the dirty floor down there. You know, there's dogs down there who are getting the scraps, who are eating it up. And what C.S. Lewis says, he's using, it's the same idea. He said, Jesus invites us to sit at his banquet table, his buffet table up here and experience his love and experience the satisfaction that comes from Jesus up here when we're in a strong, caring relationship daily with him. And he said, but those people, those people who are discontent, who are, who are trying to get more from themselves here on this earth, who are, who are trying to um, you know, advance here on this earth without regards for Jesus are like the dogs. They're down here eating the scraps underneath the table while Jesus is offering the buffet table above. And it's like this, we have a choice as people, as humans, and even as Christians, do we dine with Jesus at the buffet table? We do that by pursuing him daily. We do that by putting on Christ-like qualities. We do that by saying, Jesus, you are enough, even if I don't have whatever it may be. Or do we jump under the table and eat the scraps the dirty scraps with the dogs. And that's, the, that's pursuing earthly stuff with no regards to Jesus. Thinking that we need more money or thinking we need a higher position or, or whatever it is that causes us to lose focus of who Jesus is. And what C.S. Lewis says, the problem with Christians isn't that, that, that we're not satisfied, like we need more to be satisfied. The problem is we, get, we try to satisfy ourselves with lesser things. When Jesus is our all in all, when Jesus should be everything for us. And so contentment comes from pursuing Jesus before all of the scraps of this world, not the opposite. 
So um, one of the things that I hope many of you have done this before, I've gone on a mission trip before. If you've never been on one, um, they are just eye-opening experiences. Uh, we have mission trips at, at Gateway. We have some going on this summer. So if that's something you're interested in, let us know. Because one of the things that happens on a mission trip, and it, it directly relates to this, I went to Ecuador one time and it's amazing to see the difference in the way people live around the world, you know? And so I went to Ecuador one time and we flew into Quito. Quito is a big sprawling metropolis of a city, you know, not really third world. It's got a lot of nice stuff, but Ecuador is a third world country, even though Quito isn't necessarily third world in the city because you fly into a nice airport with nice big buildings, looks almost like a, like a New York City type deal. And we, we're not, we weren't staying in Quito, we were going about two hours south of Quito. And we get in buses and we start driving. And like, if we blinked, we would have missed it. Like we're in the city of Quito and then boom, poverty right after Quito. And we were driving down the road for about two hours and the missionary is kind of looking out the, the window and he says, are you see these houses right here? And we're like, yeah. And he said, those are the last houses that have electricity. And we're like, really? And I was like, so there's no other, he said, no, from here on down south, there's gonna be no electricity at all. And then we go down maybe 15 more minutes and, and right here, he's like, see right here, this is where like the water supply from the city cuts off and there's no more water. Um, and so we keep driving another hour and a half and we go to this little town in Ecuador and sure enough, clay houses, their food is like sometimes running around on the floor before they kill it to eat it. They have to walk two or three miles down a hill to a little town where there's a little market back up every day to get the food that they need. It was amazing to me to see the difference in what we have and what they had. And we're gonna come back to that in a few minutes. But what was even more amazing than that was to meet the Christians who were there, the followers of Jesus, and to see how happy and how satisfied they were despite having so little. Like, honestly, I had more technology in my book bag than the entire town had when we were going into the town. And yet these people were completely happy. I had smiles on their faces. They were just full of joy, just living their lives, going out and cutting down sugarcane every day and walking two miles down. It, was, it blew my mind to see the satisfaction level of these people was so little that they had. And the reason was they had learned contentment. They had learned godliness with contentment and they knew that that was great gain. They were up here at this buffet table that I mentioned before. They were dining with Jesus. They were pursuing Jesus day in and day out. They didn't have all of these scraps underneath the table of earthly living that was, that was constantly tempting them and pulling them away from the table. They had Jesus and they had nothing else. And that was all that they needed. And you know, we leave the week later and we're like, man, that was eye-opening. Man, I think we learned a lot more than we taught them. We taught them the Bible, some, but they taught us a new way of life. <laughs> a way of life that sees Jesus as all in all, that sees Jesus as the great satisfier of our souls, that sees Jesus as the one who we pursue day in and day out instead of earthly gain and earthly means. Something that we think in America that we're doing but wow, when you really have nothing and Jesus really is all that you have, there is a satisfaction that I don't think we even experience here in America because Jesus was their all in all. 
And so that's why contentment is so important. That's why Paul says godliness with contentment is great gain. To the amount that you add earthly gain, the, the amount that you pursue earthly things and leave Jesus behind so that you can pursue those things, that's the amount that you are going to miss out on the contentment that Jesus brings by pursuing him wholeheartedly. So we're gonna kind of, kind of move on now and talk a little bit about discontentment. We've really shared about contentment. And discontentment, I wanna talk about a few things about discontentment because discontentment, the opposite of contentment is, is where many of us struggle. Let's be honest. Many of us struggle. We come to church on Sundays. We may even read our Bible every day. But man, we feel like we, could, we need more of stuff, right? But man, when we, when we get on our phones and um, browse through Amazon or browse through Instagram or Facebook or whatever it is, and you see these things that other people have, man, that sure would be nice, you know? Like we struggle with it. And discontentment, I believe, is a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual issue when we decide that Jesus isn't enough for us and we all do it. And so here's a few things that discontentment says. So the problem with spiritual discontentment and discontentment with our lives is first it says, think about it, it says that God isn't good or able. Discontentment, when we choose to pursue earthly things in place of pursuing Jesus, basically what we're saying, think about this, is we're saying, God, you didn't give me and you don't give me everything that I need. God, there is not enough that you have provided for me to satisfy me and to make me happy. So God, either you're not good that you don't care about me or God, you really aren't that powerful. You're not able to give me what I need to be happy. And God's response to that is, Jesus, right? I gave you Jesus. Do you have enough food to eat? Yes. Do you have a place to lay your head and shelter? Yes. Do you have running clean water? Yes. You have everything you need to be happy because on top of that, I have given you Jesus and your relationship with Jesus daily will satisfy you more than anything else of this world can. But discontentment also says, this is where we get our priorities out of whack. And discontentment says that my possessions and my personal gain, my earthly gain are more important than God's mission and purpose. Kind of the same as that as the third one. They kind of go the same. It says earthly gain is better than heavenly pursuits. We have a choice day in and day out. You know, every choice that we make is going to be based off of contentment and our relationship with Jesus or it's gonna be based on discontentment. Discontent choices lead to selfish choices, right? Discontent decisions lead to decisions that gain for us without regards to others. Content decisions, content choices are heavenly pursuits, right? They don't, it doesn't matter if it gains for us as long as it helps and cares and shows love for other people. And so God is calling us to contentment. So how do we do this? How do we switch from discontentment to contentment? If you would agree with me that discontentment, yes, is an issue. How do we deal with that? How can we go from discontent to content? Now, I thought of a few things here. The first thing is, is to recognize your blessings. Recognize my blessings. We need to recognize our blessings. And I kind of uh, mentioned this before with talking about my mission trip to Ecuador the blessings that we have compared to those people, it was insane. 
Like I couldn't even, I can't, like it was mind blowing the number of things. When I got back, I was in seminary at that time, but I got back and just every like place I went, I looked around and it was like, they don't have any of this. They don't have any of that. They don't have any of that. But man, Americans are some of the most unhappy, discontent people with all of this stuff. I couldn't, it didn't make sense to me. But this is why, because they were content with Jesus. But we can recognize our blessings that we have what we need to be happy in this world. If we were to lose half of our possessions that we have, we would still have enough. If we were to lose 90% of our possessions, we would still have enough to be happy in this world because we have Jesus. Next one, realize what has you instead of you having it. Another way. Think about your life. Think about the possessions. Think about the stuff. This is famous. This Dave, Dave Ramsey, if you've ever done the Dave Ramsey class, he says this all the time, but it's so true. He says, you can pursue things to such a great de- de- degree that by the time you have those things, those things actually have you. They become your idol, right? They become your God, that you spend all of your time pursuing this. You spend all of your time trying to get this, try to gather this, and it becomes your idol that 90% of your focus are on these things, all these earthly possessions, on these scraps underneath the table. Jesus is up here at the buffet saying, come dine with me. And we're so focused on this other stuff that we lose focus on Jesus. And that stuff has us. And maybe there's things that we need to remove from our lives because they have us so strongly that they're keeping us from a content life in Jesus. And then the last thing and the most important of all, and we're gonna end with this, is find rest in Jesus Christ. One of the things that the New Testament is so clear about is that Jesus satisfies, is that Jesus is our all in all that a relationship with him, a daily living dynamic relationship with him will satisfy you more deeply and greater than anything that this world can offer. Jesus can satisfy more than any car that you could have. Jesus will satisfy more than any size house you may have. Jesus will satisfy more than any boat that you may have. Jesus will satisfy any, more than any amount of money sitting in your bank account. Jesus will satisfy more than any position that you may get in your job. Jesus will satisfy more than any of it. But we have to wholeheartedly pursue him. We have to take this, this scraps, these earthly things with open hands and say, Jesus, these are yours. They're not mine. I'm not gonna pursue these things. If you bless me with them, that's great, but they're not my greatest blessing. Jesus, you are my greatest blessing. And that's hard because there's no five-step plan to make Jesus your greatest blessing. You have to experience it for yourself. You have to come to him daily in the word and in prayer and in worship, not just on Sundays, but day in and day out. And you have to actively fight against the things that are vying to have you and saying, no, those will not have me. Those don't satisfy, only Jesus will satisfy. So let's end this morning just with a challenge. As you go through this week, as I go through my week, Take a survey of your life, take a survey of your possessions, take a survey of your stuff and say, what do I have and what has me? 
What is vying for all of my time so much that it turns my attention away from Jesus? What is it that is causing me to be discontent in my life? And pray that Jesus would change your heart to be content in him. Will you pray with me?